Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. We use the phrase, burn the ships. To burn the ships means to decide that you are all in in whatever commitment that you're considering. These kind of decisions don't come every day, but occasionally in life we have to make a burn the ships decision. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, if there's one thing God can't stand, it's a lukewarm Christian. Now, Jesus used several vivid metaphors to describe this concept. Water that's neither cold nor hot, salt that's lost its saltiness, and man trying to serve two masters. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress suggests that choosing the extraordinary life begins with choosing to be all in for God. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to Pathway to Victory. Over the years, our listening family has shown a deep interest in biblical prophecy. And for that reason, we're embarking on a -a once-in-a-lifetime Bible prophecy tour to the land of Israel. The dates are April 25th through May 5th, and time's running out to reserve your spot. Nothing will inspire your love and affection for Jesus Christ quite like seeing the places where prophecy was fulfilled and where prophecy will yet be fulfilled. On our tour, we'll visit places like the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. This is the spot where Jesus ascended into heaven and the spot where he's going to return one day soon. So, come along with us. To sign up for the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel, simply go to ptv.org. The month of February is getting away from us, and I'm mindful that time is running short to request your copy of our featured resource for the month. I've written a best-selling book called Choosing the Extraordinary Life, God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. My book is written for anyone who's grown weary of the daily grind of life and wants to reach for something more. A hardcover copy of Choosing the Extraordinary Life is yours along with a practical life application guide when you give a generous gift to support the expanding ministry of Pathway to Victory. I'll explain more about my book and other resources later, but right now let's pick up our study in 1 Kings chapter 18. Today we're going to uncover the fourth secret for living an extraordinary life, and that is deciding to burn the ships. Are we going to burn the ships and be all in in our commitment to God? God demands a total commitment to him, not just a partial commitment. Uh, Jesus would say it this way in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 30. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. 800 years before Jesus said that, Elijah said the same thing. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18, as we look at Elijah's burn the ships challenge to the Israelites, as he stood on Mount Carmel, where many of us have stood before. Elijah addressed The false prophets of Baal, he addressed the Israelites with this challenge. Look at verse 21. And Elijah came near to all of the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. 
But the people did not answer him with a word. You know, that challenge is just as relevant today as it was 2,800 years ago. It's time for God's people to decide whom they are going to serve. You see, the Israelites, they hadn't rejected God completely. They were just trying to have it both ways. They wanted to worship God, but they also wanted to worship Baal. You find many Christians today trying to do the same thing. Yes, they want to worship God. They come to church. They read their Bibles. They want to worship God. But at the same time, they're trying to follow their own idols. Now, I'm not talking about some figurine made of metal or gold. But we all have idols. You know what an idol is? An idol, very simply, is anything that you love more than you love God. What is it that consumes your thoughts, your energies, your affections? That's what your idol is. An idol is anything or anyone that we love more than God. So what Elijah is saying to us today is, make up your mind. If money really is your God, if that's what you really love, give yourself completely to it. Earn all you can any way you can. Pile up as much of it as you possibly can, if that's really what your God is. If your career is your God, then go all in with it. Spend 100 hours a week working. Forget trying to come to church. Forget your family. Serve your career with your whole heart. If sex is your God, get rid of all the guilt you're facing. Quit going to church and reading your Bible. Just see how many immoral relationships you can possibly rack up and see if that doesn't bring you pleasure. Don't try to serve both. Serve your idol with all of your heart. But if you believe God is who he said he is, then serve him not half-heartedly, but with a full heart, an undivided heart. Either way, it is time to make up your mind. That is the challenge that Elijah made to the Israelites. How did the Israelites respond to Elijah's burn the ships challenge? Interestingly, there were four distinct responses among the people to that challenge to decide whether or not they were all in. And they're all contained in 1 Kings chapter 18. And they both, all four, illustrate how different people today respond to that challenge to be all in. First of all, Elijah himself models faithful and fearless commitment to God. Some people decide, yes, I'm all in. I'm going to be faithful and fearless. That was Elijah. Now, let's rewind the tape in just a moment and figure out how Elijah got from Zarephath, where the widow was, to standing on top of Mount Carmel before Ahab, Jezebel, and all of the Israelites. How did he get there? Well, we find the answer in verses 1 and 2. Now, it came about after many days, literally after three and a half years of drought, Elijah had been spending that time at Kareth, the brook, and then at Zarephath. After those days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Remember three and a half years earlier, God said to Elijah in chapter 17, go to Ahab and say, it's not going to rain for the next three years because of your unfaithfulness. Then Elijah hid, as God told him to, for three and a half years. Now God is saying, okay, Elijah, it's time to go to Ahab and say that 
I'm about to send rain on the face of the earth. So, verse 2, Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. I want you to notice two things about Elijah. First of all, Elijah followed God faithfully. By that, I'm talking about his steely resolve to transform his world instead of conform to the world. That was Elijah's resolve. He was a perfect model of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, when Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but transform yourself by the renewing of your mind. I love the way the J.B. Phillips paraphrase says it, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That was Elijah. You know why Elijah was so faithful? He came to that point in his life where he made the decision he would rather please God than please man. If you're going to be faithful in your service to God, you've got to come to that commitment. Are you going to please God or please men? Usually you can't do both. Elijah followed God faithfully. But secondly, Elijah obeyed God fearlessly. Once God had spoken, Elijah never hesitated. On the transmission, on Elijah's chariot, there was no R on that transmission. There was only one direction forward. Every time God spoke, Elijah moved forward. In chapter 17, when God told Elijah, go to King Ahab and make the pronouncement, Elijah didn't say, well, let me pray about that, God, for a little bit. Let me read the Old Testament and see if I can find any principles here. I'll get back with you. No, he went immediately to King Ahab. When God then said, I want you to go hide yourself at the brook Kareth, Elijah obeyed immediately. He went to Zarephath immediately. And now the word of the Lord came to him in that widow's house in Zarephath and said, you are to go back to King Ahab. That was Elijah. He obeyed God fearlessly. I'm talking to some of you right now. God has spoken to you already about something you know you need to do. He's already spoken. He's telling you, you need to pick up the phone. Make that call to that person with whom you have a fractured relationship. Even if they're responsible for it, God is telling you to pick up the phone and take that first step. God is telling you, some of you, to break off that relationship that you know is hazardous to your spiritual health. Obeying God fearlessly and faithfully for some of you means giving that gift to God's work that on the surface seems absolutely absurd for you to do. When people are all in to their commitment to God, they, owe God, they obey God faithfully and fearlessly. That was Elijah. But not everybody in Israel had that same response, not even the God followers. There's a second response to God's all-in challenge, and it's illustrated by a man named Obadiah. Obadiah was faithful, but he was also fearful. Now, Obadiah, don't confuse him with the Old Testament prophet Obadiah, who has his own book in the Old Testament. This is a different Obadiah. Obadiah represents God followers who try to keep their commitment secret. They have found a reason not to be outspoken about their faith in their school, at their jobs, even in their own families. They have rationalized their fear of speaking out by saying, I could be more effective as a secret disciple. Do you know people like that? 
That's exactly Obadiah. Let's look at his story beginning in verse 3 of 1 Kings 18. Remember, God has told Elijah, go from Zarephath back to Samaria and present yourself to Ahab. At the same time, verse 3 says, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Obadiah was the chief steward of Ahab's household. He was like Joseph hundreds of years earlier, was the uh, chief over Potiphar's household. Today, if he was working at the White House, he would be the chief usher. He was in charge of everything that happened in that place. That was Obadiah. He was in charge of the palace under King Ahab. But notice what it says, the last phrase of verse 3. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. He was a worshiper of Jehovah. In fact, his name, Obadiah, literally means the servant of Jehovah. In fact, if you want to know how faithful he was, look at verse 4. For it came about when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. When Jezebel was so infuriated by Elijah's pronouncement three years earlier that there would be a drought in the land, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill every prophet of Jehovah. Obadiah, the secret follower of Jehovah, said, I'm going to spare the prophets of God. And so he hid them in caves. And he arranged, even though there was a drought, to find enough water and food to keep them fed during those three and a half years. He was a secret follower of Jehovah. Verse 5, then Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. By this time, the famine had gone on for three and a half years. It was especially desperate, the Bible tells us, in Samaria, the capital of Israel, where Ahab was. Animals were dying. People were dying. Now, what's ironic is the, the God that Ahab worshipped, Baal, was supposed to be the God of weather. He was in charge of climate change in his day. But apparently, he was doing a lousy job of it. I mean, surely, if he was really the God of the climate and the weather, he could bring rain. But every day that passed showed what an impotent God Baal was. And so he says to his servant Obadiah, we're losing our livestock. Go and see if you can find any water, any grass to keep them fed. So Elijah's on his way to see Ahab. Ahab sends Obadiah out to find water and grass and they meet one another, Elijah and Obadiah. Look at verse 7. Now, as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and he fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? And he said to him, It is I. Go say to your master Ahab, Behold, Elijah is here. Go tell him. I'm on my way to see him. Now, instead of running and doing what Elijah said, Obadiah shook in his sandals with fear. Why? Look at verses 9 to 12. I'm going to read them from the paraphrase, the message. Look at this. And Obadiah said, what have I done to deserve this? Ahab will kill me. As surely as your God lives, there isn't a country or kingdom where my master hasn't sent out a search party looking for you. The minute I leave you, the Spirit of God will whisk you away to who knows where. 
Then when I report to Ahab, you'll have disappeared and Ahab will kill me. Why didn't he want to deliver the message to Ahab? He was fearful for a stated reason and for an unstated reason. The stated reason was, he said, Elijah, if I go and tell Ahab, you're on your way. He's been looking for you for three and a half years. If I tell him you're on your way to see him, you're going to pull one of those disappearing acts again, like you did three years ago. You appeared and then you vanished. As sure as I go and tell him you're on the way, you're going to disappear again and Ahab's going to kill me. That's what he was fearful of. That was the stated reason. But I think there's an unstated reason here as well. Obadiah knew that if he told Ahab about his meeting with Elijah, it would blow his cover as a secret follower of God. Ahab would start asking questions. Well, how do you know Elijah? What's your relationship with him? He was fearful he would be exposed himself as a follower of Jehovah. He wanted to keep his faith secret. He's like many Christians today. They want to follow God, but they want to keep it private. They found a way to rationalize their fear. Well, you know, if I speak up in my classroom and challenge that professor or that teacher's unbiblical pronouncement, I may fail the class, and God certainly doesn't want that. Or, you know, if I protest too loudly at my business, this ungodly policy that has just been handed down, I might lose my job, and God wouldn't want that, would he? That was Obadiah. What happened was he allowed his fear to dilute his faith. He became what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, verse 13. Christians, salt, who have lost their saltiness for Christ. They are worthless and deserve to be thrown out and trampled by men. That was Obadiah. He was faithful, but he was also fearful. There's a third response to the challenge to be all in in your commitment to God. And interestingly, it's demonstrated by Ahab to be both faithless and fearless. Faithless and fearless in your faithlessness. Notice that Ahab was in Samaria. That's where the famine was especially severe because it was the center of Baal worship. And so you had people dying, animals dying, but interestingly, Ahab was more interested in the animals than he was the people. Notice in what he said in verse 5, he says, Now, uh, Obadiah, I want you to go out and find some food and water because my livestock are dying. Well, people were dying. Children were dying in Israel as well. But you don't find Ahab expressing any remorse about that. He was concerned about his own possessions, his own animals. Now, please don't write me any letters. Animals matter to God, okay? They do, they do. In fact, Proverbs talks about a special judgment for those who are cruel to animals. We're never to do that and so forth. But on God's scale, people are more important than animals. And it's just absolutely ludicrous to show a concern for animals and not for people. There's a whole sermon in there that I'll get into at another time. But that was Ahab. He was concerned about his animals, not about the people. What a contrast to King David. Remember King David years earlier, 2 Samuel 24, 17? Because he had sinned against God, God was sending judgment upon the land. And David said, behold, it is I who have sinned, and it is I who have done wrong. But these sheep, that is your people, God, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. David was concerned. He said, I'm the one who's a sinner. Judge me. Don't judge my people. 
<laughs> that wasn't Ahab. He could not have cared less about his people. He's a personification of Proverbs 29, verse 2, that says, when a wicked man rules, the people groan. But I want you to notice something else about Ahab here. As the drought got worse and worse, Ahab doubled down on his disobedience and his idolatry. You know, you would think he would have repented and turned back toward God. But verses 4 and 5 tells us that as the drought progresses, uh, the Jezebel kills more and more of the prophets of God. And that's how unrepentant people are. One possible response is they allow the judgment God is pronouncing against them to drive them further away from God than back toward God. And you see that when Elijah finally approaches King Ahab. What does Ahab do? Have you ever noticed how unbelievers or even carnal Christians how they are willing to blame everybody except themselves for the judgment that has come into their life. That was Ahab. When he sees Elijah, he says, is this you, you troubler of Israel? He blamed Elijah for everything that was happening in the land. But Elijah comes right back at him and he says in verse 18, it is not I who have troubled Israel, but you and your father's house because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Ahab and all of Israel needed a reminder that there was only one God. And they would get that reminder as we'll see in a couple of weeks in the contest on Mount Carmel. But I want you to stop here for a moment and consider the different possible responses you can make to decide whether you're all in or not in your commitment to God. You can be like Elijah, who is both faithful and fearless in his commitment. You can be like Obadiah, who was faithful, but he was also fearful, he was hesitant. You can be like Ahab, who completely turns his back on God, is faithless and fearless in his faithlessness. Or you can be like the Israelites, we'll see next time, who were faithless and also fearful. But Elijah would not allow them to try to serve God and Baal. It's time for God's people to decide whom they are going to serve. Yes, life change always begins with a simple decision. And for God's people, it's time to choose our master. Will we decide to follow the false gods like the prophets of Baal or the living God who alone can transform our lives? Well, if you're prepared to take your next steps down the pathway to victory, let me urge you to request the helpful resources we prepared just for you this month. The first is a copy of my best-selling book I've written called Choosing the Extraordinary Life. The subtitle is God's Seven Secrets for Success and significance. This is quite possibly the most important book I'll ever write because it holds the key to unlocking your purpose in life. In my study of Elijah, I've identified seven secrets that are essential for a life of success, satisfaction, and most importantly, significance. And as you read my book, we'll carefully walk through each of these seven secrets so that you too can start living the life of meaning and eternal impact your heart longs for, no matter your age or season of life. 
My book also comes with a helpful life application guide with thought-provoking questions to help you take this study even deeper. My book and the life application guide are yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. In addition, I'll also include a popular resource we call the Elijah Map. You won't find this brochure anywhere other than through Pathway to Victory. It's a convenient six-panel brochure that clearly identifies the events in Elijah's life that set him apart from others. And it shows you how these stories from Elijah's life intersect with your own. Thanks for your continued generous support. God is using your generosity to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, you're invited to request a copy of Dr. Jeffress's best-selling book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, along with the Life Application Guide. Plus, we're going to include a copy of the Elijah Map. Ask for your copy of these resources when you call 866-999-2965 or visit online at ptv.org. Now, when you give $75 or more, you'll also receive both the CD and DVD teaching sets for Choosing the Extraordinary Life. They're perfect for your small group Bible study or Sunday school class. To request the complete package, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You know, a lot of listeners prefer to contact us the good old-fashioned way. If that's you... Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again next time for Jesus 4 Tips for Burning Your Ships. That's Friday, here on Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.